we've been studying here in Ephesians chapter chapters 1 and 2, and now we're to chapter 3 this morning, so turn there in your Bibles with me, Ephesians chapter number 3, and uh, we'll continue our study through this book. I hope that you take notes. Uh, you might, uh, I know some of you, I've seen some of you, you've went out and bought a little spiral-bound notebook, and you bring those to church, and you take notes, and, and normally you'll write down the reference, the passage that we're studying for the morning, and and then you'll write down, normally I'll give points and, or an outline of the passage that we're studying. And that's all geared so to help you remember it. Uh, in fact, somebody in my Sunday school class, they were referring to the handouts that we give for our Sunday school class, the foundations class. And, and he was mentioning how much he enjoys it because he's able to take it home with him. And then he can actually look at it, look at it again and he can look up some scripture references and just... Uh, it, it helps him in his Bible study, in his personal Bible study. And so you can do that uh, even from, from the uh, sermon that is preached. Now, some of you might say, well, after you've preached it, you know, I mean, you've rung it out. I mean, there's nothing left to study. I, I think I've got it. And uh, that may be you or maybe uh, you're, you have a heart. You want to you look at it again. Maybe it was so much you weren't able to digest it. All. You want to think on those things. Great thing to do. And I hope that you take time to do it. In chapter 2, and we're done with this chapter now, but keep in mind, I want to remind you of what we've looked at a little bit. You remember in chapter 2, you'll see there in verse 1, all the way down through about verse 10, in the first few verses, you remember how Paul reminded this church of who they used to be. And he remember, he, he said, you were dead, like dead, nothing there, no pulse spiritually. You were spiritually dead, is what he, what he told them. And he said, you had been deceived. And uh, you were disobedient. He actually calls them the children of disobedience, which has the idea of being the children of the devil. I mean, that's not a way to win people over, uh, to, to call them something like that. But he, he said, this is who you used to be spiritually. And you were, uh, you were doomed. You were, you were deluded. You were deceived. You were doomed, facing destruction. But then in verse 4, you notice he said, but God... And, uh, and, of course, we looked at those words and studied those words, and he says, but God loved you right where you were. And he showed his mercy, poured out his mercy upon you and his grace upon you, and he, he made you alive, he quickened you. That's the word that he uses in the, in the text, that you, he's made you alive. And, and then, of course, he's exalted you and he keeps you. And then when we came down last week and we looked at verses 11 down through the end of the chapter verses 11 through 22, uh, Paul reminds them again of who they used to be. And he says, remember, you were without Christ. You see it there in verse 12. You were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You, you didn't have any citizenship with God's chosen people. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't have any covenants. God hadn't made any covenants to you as Gentiles. And he tells us that in verse number 12. Strangers from the covenants of promise. And he says, you, have no, you had no hope. Isn't that an awful, awful reality that these individuals and all Gentiles had no hope uh, outside of Christ? And that's true even today. There's no hope outside of Christ. They were hopeless. And he says, you were without God in the world. But then he goes on to tell them, but in Christ, but in Christ you, you, you now are in him and you are citizens of heaven and you have a new covenant that God has made with you and you do have hope and you're the children of God. And he literally says it this way, he's 
making you a building. He's building you into something special. He, he, he calls them a temple, a building, something that God is in the process of building and, of, and, and is in the process of making. And it really is a beautiful, beautiful passage. And now we come to chapter 3 and verse number 1. And I'm going to read there, chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. And I'll read down uh, a, a few verses here in the time that we have, and then we'll study this passage. So look with me here in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And, and now we have what we call a rabbit trail. If it wasn't inspired of the Holy Spirit, that's what we would call it. Because in verse 1, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, and he was about to say, pray. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look down to verse number 14, because he picks back up where he intended to go. In verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's been saying, this is who you used to be, this is who you are now. Uh, you had nothing, now you have everything in Christ. And Paul's about to go to prayer for them. And before he can go to prayer, his heart is so full of the mystery that God wants these believers to know that the Holy Spirit of God leads Paul to tell them what the mystery is. And there really are several parts to this mystery, and, and I'll give them to you. We're not going to touch on all of them this morning, but there are three parts to this mystery. And one is that they were enlightened. God wanted them to know. It was something they hadn't known before, but, but Paul was dedicated in his life to letting everybody know about this mystery. And God wanted the church, and he wants us to know what the mystery is. And he says, you're enlightened. And then next week we'll get to this, Lord willing, he says, you're exalted in Christ. And the third part is, you're enabled. Going through trials and struggles, I want you to know you're enabled. Uh, but let's read the text, verse number 2. He says, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Verse 8, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And I'm going to stop there this morning as we read. But we're going to look not at all of these verses that I've read, but, but I, want to, I want us to understand this morning that we have been enlightened. Uh, we understand. And by the way, God wants us to understand 
what this mystery is. Um, sometimes people don't value value something because they don't understand its value. And Paul had dedicated his life, and not just he had dedicated his life, but God had called Paul to dedicate his life to telling everybody what the mystery was. And by the way, the mystery that Paul preached was so polarizing. It was so dividing that Paul was actually writing from prison because of this mystery. He was imprisoned because of this mystery. You know, if Paul had been willing to compromise the message of this mystery, I don't think he would have been in prison at all. But because the mystery was so dividing and divisive, Paul was in prison for this mystery. Let's pray, and we'll consider more about this mystery this morning and the, and the awesomeness of it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you'd help us today to understand uh, what this mystery is and how important it is. And Father, I pray that you would use these truths to encourage our hearts, to give us confidence in you, that you are faithful to do what you uh, have, uh, have set out to do in our lives. I pray this morning for every person here, speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit through your word, and I will praise your name for it. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I was thinking about this idea of a mystery and the idea of being enlightened, formerly being ignorant about something, not knowing anything about it, and then being brought to a knowledge, an understanding of something. And, uh, and as I was thinking about that, I was reminded this late summer and early fall, uh, William, I think, was, he had just turned five, and someone a few years ago gave us this little four-wheeler. And William has just been dying to ride it for, like, years, okay? Which I had told him no when he was two and three and, and four, but, but then I had set a goal for him, and if he accomplished this goal, he could then ride the four-wheeler. Well, he did. He accomplished the goal, and I won't tell you what the goal was, but let me just say mom and dad were really excited that he accomplished that goal, okay? Anyway, so he accomplished the goal, and so I, I, I made some adjustments on the four-wheeler so it could only go so fast. It actually has a, 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 like a key fob kill switch that overprotective parents can carry around the yard and like turn off the engine if if he's going too fast or you know whatever and uh and he's like his daddy he loves things with wheels he loves the wind in his face and hair uh unless he's wearing a helmet and uh you know just anything like that he loves and so and so i could i was just thrilled to be able to put him on it you know cindy wasn't so thrilled and in fact she was away when he first rode it uh, anyway, you know, as I went through all this information, you know, what to do, what not to hit, you know, what, where to drive, things like that. And, uh, and he did. He, he caught on pretty quick. But he wanted to know how to start it. Well, I wasn't going to give that information up. I wasn't going to enlighten him because I know me. <laughs> and, uh, and I can remember as a small boy trying to start the truck uh, when I was like seven or six, to take my sister and brother somewhere to drop them off, who were younger than me, and and I'm and he was like he wanted he kept asking how do you start it and I would tell him I'm not telling you how to start it, but there's a way to start it right you know you got to turn the key and you got to 
turn, turn the ignition switch on, and then on this, this uh, Chinese model, you have to step on the brake and with all of your might, basically, and then you push the start button and it'll, it'll start up. And of course, if it's cold, you've got to choke it and all that kind of stuff. Well, um, and so there were a few times, every time Will would ride it, I would have to start it for him. And, uh, and I didn't think too much about it. I mean, there's, I just gave you, what, like four or five steps to start this machine. And I'm thinking, <laughs> he's not going to know how to start it. Well, he watched me one, two, three, four, I don't know, ten times start it. And, uh, and I guess I never really paid attention to him. But apparently he was paying very close attention to me. And, uh, and so one day I was, he was riding and I was mowing the yard and he's riding around smiling at me, you know, through his helmet and, and we're racing back and forth on the, on the yard. And, uh, and when he would stall it, he would always have to come over and I'd have to stop the mower and get off the mower and go start the machine for him until he could stall it again somewhere else. You know, we do this several times. Well, finally one day, um, I had seen that he stalled it, and I just kept going, you know. And next thing you know, he's riding again. And he has this huge smile on his face. He had, like, cracked the code. And so now he would turn it off on purpose just to start it again. It was just so fun and so exciting for him to start the machine. But he had gone from a place where he didn't know anything about it or how to do it to a place where he understood it fully. Now, I still don't, just for all of our peace of mind, I still don't think that he can do it when it's cold. In other words, I don't think he can go out to the barn, fire it up, and take off, and come to your house someday. I I don't think that's going to happen. At least we don't think that's going to happen. But boy, he likes, he, he loved learning something that he didn't already know. It brought all this freedom and liberty to him. He didn't need dad to start it anymore for him. He had been enlightened. And that's kind of what Paul's dealing with here in this passage. He's, he's saying there, there's some things you need to know. And I love how he starts in verse 1. And, uh, and he says, for this cause, and he's about to say, I get on my knees and I pray for you, but he just can't yet. And the Spirit of God leads him to digress from what he was going to say and actually enlighten us a little bit as to what exactly this mystery is all about and how it is that we have it. And, and, and so that's what he's talking about in this passage. Jew and Gentile, one body, Jews, the, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, the people of the covenants, God, remember, had told them, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'll provide for you and you'll worship me. But none of those promises had been made to the Gentiles. There were no promises like that from God, our creator, to most all of us in this room. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. And so Paul is telling them about these things. Uh, The mystery has been revealed And it really is so wonderful, and it's a mystery he wants us to understand, that everyone in Christ is one with everyone else in Christ. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful truth. And, by the way, it's understandable. When when you first read down through chapter 3, maybe this morning was your first time ever even hearing chapter 3 of Ephesians. And it's not a simple, they're not simple verses to understand. In fact, you probably you might have read it and thought, yep, I didn't get anything out of that. Some of you 
who maybe who, who have been in the scripture longer, these truths maybe jumped off the page at you. But for some, well, you have to work a little bit at it. But I want to tell you this morning, this mystery is understandable, this mystery of unity. It was something the Old Testament, the Old Testament people never understood. What we're looking at this morning is something that in the Old Testament of the Bible, the people did not understand this mystery. David didn't understand this mystery. Daniel didn't understand this mystery. Moses or Abraham did not understand this. It, it was a mystery to them. They didn't understand it. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. But today, in Ephesians chapter 3, we are reminded what, of what we have in Jesus Christ. We, you've been enlightened, is what Paul is saying. You, you've been exalted. You have been exalted, and you've been enabled. Now, remember, as we started our study in Ephesians, remember the first three chapters are very much doctrinal. It's all about the riches that we have in Christ. And then in the last three chapters, he's going to make application. Because of what we have in Christ, this is how we need to live. This is how we need to worship. This, this is how God expects us to live our lives, because of what we have in Christ. If we miss these truths in the first half that maybe are, are a little deep, then we'll not be able to understand what, what we want to understand, what God wants us to understand in the second half. So uh, we'll just look at the first, the, just one of these three truths this morning. We are enlightened by, in Christ, by His Spirit, by His Word. And the question I could ask is this, are you aware of what God has accomplished for us? Because God wants us to know the amazing program that God has chosen. And this program that God is dedicated to accomplishing in this age. In John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you, he will guide you into all truth. And by the way, when we understand God's plan for the church, that's the mystery. The church is the mystery. When we understand God's plan for the church, it really gives us confidence toward God. It gives, gives us confidence toward God. It gives us courage in going through difficult situations and circumstances of life. So God's plan is so important that Paul was actually a prisoner of presenting this truth to the Gentiles. Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And there are four truths I want to notice from this passage. First of all, Paul was a prisoner for this truth. Paul was in prison because of this truth. And again, I'll say to you right up front, had Paul been willing to just say, you know what, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to stand for this. This, this. I can stand for all these other truths, but... This truth about this mystery, Jew and Gentile in one body, the church, this body, this building that God is building, you know what, that's not all that important. I'm just going to move on to some other topic. Paul would not have been in prison. Paul suffered because this truth was so important and needed to be taught and needed to be understood. And by the way, it still needs to be understood today. Notice again in verse number 1. He says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you, Gentiles. Twice in Ephesians, Paul reminded his readers that he was a prisoner. 
here in verse 1, and then again in chapter 4 and verse 1. Again, look there in verse four and ver- or chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And that has everything to do with what we're talking about today. Um, he's going to build, he's going to make application of how we should live based upon who we are and, and who God says we are. And at the end of this letter, he, he calls himself an ambassador in bonds in chapter 6 and verse 1. He calls himself an ambassador in bonds. I can imagine that the church at Ephesus might have asked some questions, and, and other churches at that, that time might have asked some questions as well. They might have asked this question, why is Paul a prisoner in Rome? I mean, what's Paul doing in jail? What did he do? Did you know what Paul did? I, did, he, did he take something? You know, what, what happened? Did he, was he not honest on his taxes? You know, what, why is Paul in prison? Why is he in prison? Or, or maybe they might have asked this question, why has God allowed Paul to be in prison? Have you ever wondered that? Why was Paul in prison so much? What was it that bothered everybody so much? And in this passage, Paul explains his situation. And in explaining why he's in prison, Paul explains one of the greatest truths in this entire letter. And I would say to you, one of the greatest truths in all of the Bible. The mystery, the mystery that is the church. I've said so many times, and if you've been here for any length of time, you know this. The church is not this building. The church is not a non-profit 501c3 corporation. The church is not a bunch of programs. All programs are, is organization. That's all a programs are for. It just helps with organization. The church is not 9.30 Sunday school, 10.30 morning worship, and 6 o'clock Sunday night worship, and Wednesday night prayer meeting. That's not the church. The church if you're a born-again child of God, is you. You are the church. You are the church. And you can, and, and our buildings and property could be taken away. Our 501c3 uh, status could be stripped away. That means that there would be no writing off charitable donations. Um, we could lose our property. And you know what? we would still be a church. You are the church. And it, it's a mis- it was a mystery. And the mystery specifically was this, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. That is the church. And, and this is, by the way, is why Paul was in prison. Paul was, in, was a prisoner because he believed in God's new program of uniting believing Jews and believing Gentiles into one body, the church. The body of Christ. In Paul's day, Orthodox Jews or Judaism considered Gentiles to be dogs. And sadly, at that time, some of the believing Jews didn't differ too much in their perspective. And their perspective was kind of this. Okay, so, so, okay, maybe the Gentiles can be saved through Christ, but they also need to be circumcised as well. And they also need to embrace Judaism as well. If they're going to be truly a follower of Jesus, they're going to have to embrace Judaism as well. And there was this 
animosity between Jews and Gentiles. And I remind you that before Paul was saved, he also had been a part of Judaism. He was a Pharisee called, identified as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mentioned it in Sunday school today, but Paul was a genius of an individual. He would have been trained and gone through intense training to be a rabbi. And he was a genius. And he was dedicated to his cause. I won't take time to turn there, but do you remember Saul was his name, Saul of Tarsus. Do you remember Saul as a Pharisee getting permission to go and arrest people who professed to believe in Jesus Christ? He didn't believe in Jesus Christ at all. He believed Jesus was a hypocrite and a liar. That's where Saul had been. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm here to appease somebody else, but Pastor Seth, frankly, I don't believe the Bible, and I don't really believe this whole thing about religion, and I'm just not into that. Well, join the club. Saul was there and beyond. He hated Jesus. And he hated everybody who followed Jesus and listened to Jesus' words so much that Saul of Tarsus would get permission legally in those days and he would gather a group of people together and he would go and find churches made up of born-again believers who worshipped Christ and, and followed his teaching and believed in his teaching. And Paul would arrest them, men and women, and some of them were put to death because of Saul. That's who he used to be. And and, and now we find that Saul, his name has been changed to Paul, and he's actually a prisoner for the truth. Look with me back to Acts chapter 9. Would you, Acts chapter 9? I want you to see something there in Acts chapter 9. Before, Before Paul was saved, his name was Saul... And he was a part of Judaism. He was a Pharisee. But after Paul was saved, God made Paul an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, this is very important. Acts chapter 9. Look with me at verse number 15. Acts chapter 9, verse number 15. It says this. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. God is talking about Saul here. Uh, his name to be turned to the Apostle Paul. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So look now, you're still in Acts. Look over to chapter 26. Just briefly, Acts chapter 26. And I'll begin reading in verse number 13. I'm going to read a few verses here, I think five. Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse number 13. Now, at this point, Saul's name has been changed to Paul. He has been serving as an apostle. He has suffered greatly for his message. And uh, in, in a way, he's, he's, giving, he's on trial. And, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But Acts 26, in verse number 13. I'll read down through verse number 18. Paul is speaking, and he says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. He's giving his testimony of when he was saved. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to prick, to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom whom now I send thee. Very clear here, God had chosen Saul of Tarsus to equip him, to reveal to him a truth, and to send Saul to the Gentiles. Notice verse 18, to what end? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You can turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. But I just want it to be very clear to you that before Paul was saved, his name was Saul, he was a Pharisee. But when God saved Saul of Tarsus, he called Saul. He changes his name to Paul, and he called Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Up to this point, not much of the gospel is going to the Gentile people. Most of it's happening within Judaism, within Jews. And that was appropriate at that time, because remember, Christ had said to the Jew first, but he had said, then also to the Greek, okay? God had made that very clear, but it was to the Jew first. So wherever God took Paul, he preached the gospel to both Jew and Gentiles. Baptizing, Paul baptized both. And he led both that they were one in Christ. He taught both that they were one in Christ. And because Paul taught that all born-again people were one in Christ, he was accused by Jews of being prejudiced against them. Now remember, he was a Jew. But he was accused by the Jews of being prejudiced and hateful against them. In fact, on different occasions, they rioted in opposition to Paul and what Paul taught. Um, You're in in, uh, Ephesians. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 22 just very quickly in verse 22. Uh, listen Listen to what happens here in Acts chapter 22. It says in verse 22, it says, And they gave him audience unto his word, and then lifted up their voices, and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. That was the the Jews in response to Paul's message. What what was it that he had said to them? Uh, And this is what he had said to them that made them so angry. And I said, Paul speaking, Lord, they know that I am imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also, Paul says, was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Now, now, keep in mind what's happened. Do you remember, I've mentioned Saul already, as Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, persecuting Christians, believers. And you might remember a deacon by the name of Stephen who was stoned. And you remember the people who stoned deacon, they took off their outer garments, as was the custom at that time, and they laid their their coats, their cloaks, at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul, the man who would later become the Apostle Paul. And they laid their garments at Saul's feet, the Pharisee, who was giving legal consent to them murdering this deacon. And the men and the women then would have picked up stones, 
and they would have begun to hurl those stones at Stephen. Eventually, Stephen succumbs to the wounds. He dies. And there, standing by, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a man dedicated to Judaism, a man who hated the Lord Jesus Christ, stood there, watched this deacon die. His name was Saul. And he persecuted the church, and he hated the church. And Saul there, as I just read in Acts chapter 22, was telling people, he was saying, yeah, I was there, I stood there, and they laid their their coats at my feet while Stephen died. And then he said those words, but then God sent me to take the message to the Gentiles. And when Paul said that, when he said, God sent me to take the message and division between Jews and Gentiles, something, frankly, that we in this room know very little, if anything at all, about. We've never experienced anything quite like it. There was intense hatred. And so really the rest of the book of Acts is a story of how Paul got to Rome, uh, put into a Roman prison, And that's where we find him here in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. And he's saying, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you, for you Gentiles. I'm here because I was willing to tell people, no, the gospel is for the Gentiles too. The gospel, Jesus Christ died on the cross so the Gentiles could be saved too. Jesus Christ was buried and rose again so that the Gentiles could live too, so that they could be in Christ too. And the Jews, even some who were saved, were saying, that, no, that can't be. That's not true. You're a liar. And they were, they were, uh, they were uh, uh, going after him. They were, they were trying to have him killed. And Paul's in prison because of it. The second truth I noticed in this passage is that Paul was a steward of the mystery. He was a steward of the mystery. A steward is someone who doesn't necessarily own something, but that which they're a steward of is owned by someone else, and someone else has entrusted that mission into their care, or that responsibility, or that possession. They've entrusted that into their care. God's grace toward the Gentiles had been entrusted to Paul. Aren't you glad Paul did what God called him to do? I mean, really, what I just said has everything to do with your salvation. I'm not saying that God was, would have been limited if Paul hadn't done that. I, I think God could have found somebody else or raised up somebody else to do, and, and he would have done and accomplished his will. But aren't you glad that Saul of Tarsus uh, answered, responded to the Lord Jesus Christ, and his name was changed to Paul, and he was willing, literally, to give everything that he had, including his own life, to tell everybody he knew that salvation was from God for the Gentiles too. Notice in verse number two, he says, if ye have heard of the dispensation, it means, the word dispensation means stewardship or economy, religious economy. Stewardship's a little bit easier for us to grasp. If ye have heard of the dispensation, the stewardship of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. God has given me a stewardship of his grace toward you. Do you know that you and I can be made stewards of things other than money and stuff? I mean, you and I are stewards. God, everything we own has been given to us by God. And we're stewards of finances and, a, and maybe a home or a house, a piece of property. And uh, we're stewards of our children. 
We're stewards of our marriage, our marriages. Um, but we can also be steward of spirit, stewards of spiritual things, stewards of the grace of God. And Paul here says, he says, God is, has made me a steward of his grace toward you. God really had entrusted Paul with these great truths that nobody, hardly anybody else knew. Paul was a steward of these truths. He was responsible to tell other people about these truths. And Paul fulfilled his obligation. He wrote about these truths. Uh, He preached about these truths. He taught about these truths. He would give his testimony in front of kings and judges. It didn't matter who was there. Paul would tell everybody about these truths, even if they shook their heads and walked away and thought, what a crazy man. It didn't matter to him. He was a good steward. He was a steward of these truths. He preached in synagogues, in church meetings, in town squares, in courtrooms. He told men and women, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, young and old, he was a good steward of the grace of God. Grace of God, the grace of God. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God giving us what we don't deserve. Paul was a good steward. And I asked myself the question this week as I was studying this, and I, I, I thought to myself, Seth, are you a good steward with the grace of God? Are you a good steward? Are you making the most of it? He's, he's entrusted truths into your care. He's revealed things to you through the word of God. Maybe through uh, my upbringing as a child and hearing preaching as a child and reading the word of God and studying it, the spirit of God leading and teaching in my life. And we, we, all, everybody in this room is at a different, different growth stage spiritually. I just lined up one of my kids the other day. We have a little spot in our house where we put, you know, stand them up straight and tall, not on your tiptoes, make a mark and then write the date and their name. And a couple of them have grown two inches since May. No wonder their pants look like this, you know. And, uh, but they're growing, and, and, and spiritually, you and I grow. Well, what are we doing with the truths that we're growing in? We can be good stewards of them, of those truths, of the grace of God that we have experienced, or we can be poor stewards of the grace of God. Paul was a good steward. God himself had revealed these mysteries to Paul. This is very interesting. Notice in verse number 3 and 4, he says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. God actually revealed these things directly to Paul. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to Pensacola Christian College or Bob Jones University or or Ambassador Baptist College. He didn't go to, or Maranatha Baptist he didn't, University. He didn't go to those places. He, uh, he went out into the desert <laughs> in Arabia, the Bible says, for three years. And he would have had the Torah with him, the law. He would have had the, much of the Old Testament in Hebrew with him. And he would have had the Holy Spirit now living within him. And for three years, God himself taught Paul what other people had not been able to understand about this mystery. Remember, a mystery isn't something eerie. Ooh, it's a mystery. It's not something spooky. You know, we don't need to get somebody on the organ to play. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about this mystery. 
It's something that used to be hidden, not understandable, but now is something that is understood. Notice again in verse 3, the beginning part. He says how that by revelation, God revealing these things, he made, God, he made known unto me, Paul, the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Look with, with me over to Galatians chapter 1. You're not far away. Galatians chapter 1. Take a left in your Bibles. It's just the, it's the next door neighbor. Galatians chapter 1 in verse number 15. Galatians chapter 1 in verse 15. I'll read down through verse number 19. It says here in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 1, And when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, Paul is talking about himself, and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, He didn't go to seminary. He didn't sit down at someone's feet to be taught. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. He says, I didn't go to the apostles and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, he went up to Arabia, you see, in verse 17, and returned again to Damascus. And then verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So there's Paul's education. Right there. Three years in Arabia with God, 15 days with Peter, and led to the Holy Spirit of God. I remember a friend of mine who, who used to pastor would make this, this statement. He, he would ask the question, what do you need? He would say, what do you need to uh, uh, adequately preach the word of God, to adequately understand it, and preach the word of God. And, uh, and I had been taught years before at a different Bible college that I needed at least 1,000, a 1,000 volume library to do that. You needed a 1,000, that's what I was taught, you needed a 1,000, 1,000 books on the Bible to adequately preach and pastor. And, uh, and this, and this I remember, I'll never forget him, him saying this. What, what do you need? And I remember, in my mind, I was thinking a thousand books. I need a thousand books, a big library. And I like books. Don't get me wrong. I love books. And he said, you know what I think you need? He said, I think uh, you have everything you need. You have the Holy Spirit, and you have his word. And then he would say something like this. Now, it really would be nice to have the Strong's Concordance, too, you know. And that just kind of helps you look up topics and find them in Scripture. But there's some, there's some truth to that. You have everything you need in the Holy Spirit of God living within you and this book. So one of the things we like so much about other books, commentaries and Strong's Concordance, is it because it cuts out some, uh, much of the work that's necessary to churn through the Word of God. It's kind of a, they're shortcuts. And there's nothing wrong with those books. There's nothing wrong with men's books But here we find, at least in Paul's life, though I do recommend that our young men go off to Bible college to study for the ministry, but in Paul's life, God took him out into the wilderness and for three years taught him 15 days with Peter, and God used Paul in an incredible way. He was a steward. God had revealed this mystery to him. Back in in Ephesians with me, if you would, in chapter 3 is where I'm at. God revealed these things to him. God had taught him. 
Now, and by the way, Paul would have had to give, he would have had to have given up much of what he'd been taught earlier in his life as he was being taught to be a rabbi. When he was in Arabia with God for three years, there would have been some disagreements between what God was teaching him and some of the things that he had been taught in Judaism. Now, some of the things would have measured up, met up very well. But there were other things that there would have been some disagreements on, and Paul would have had to yield to the teaching of God on the matter. He would have to give up vain traditions of men. And so it was the Holy Spirit who came upon Paul and revealed these new truths to him. He went into, the, he, he went into Arabia, think of it this way, with Genesis and Psalms and Isaiah. And he returned with Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah and other Old Testament books, but he also returned with Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and many think Hebrews. I mean, much of the New Testament, much of the New Testament was penned down by the Apostle Paul. And, and, it, it had, and much of what he wrote about had to do with this mystery. Remember, Paul hadn't, he was an apostle, but he hadn't had the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet like Peter and James and John and the other apostles. And so God made a special way for Paul to be taught by God himself. Notice again in verse number 3, the latter part in verse 4 also, that Paul faithfully communicated the mystery to others through writing. Verse number 3 He says, as I wrote afore in few words. Paul might have been referring back to chapter 1 where we already studied. In verse 4 he says, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So Paul was dedicated to telling everybody about this mystery. And now he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And in, in this message, I'm preaching this message to you because God is dedicated to you and to me knowing what this mystery is, to understanding this message. Uh, I noticed thirdly this morning, not only was Paul a prisoner of the truth, and not only was Paul a steward of the mystery, but thirdly, what I want to notice what God had concealed for thousands of years through the Old Testament. He now wanted revealed. He wanted the mystery revealed. This mystery uh, had been concealed. Notice in verse number 5, it says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. It was a mystery. It wasn't something that everybody understood. People, People weren't aware of it. Now, make no mistake, God always intended to bless the Gentiles through Israel, even to Abraham. Uh, God had said in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, in Israel, shall all families of the earth be blessed. By the way, as the United States of America, we should never turn our backs on Israel for that verse alone. You say, well, I don't always agree with with what they do. You might not. I'm not saying everything they do is always righteous. But know this. The nation who turns their back on the nation of Israel will not be blessed by God. Uh, you, you should know that as a, as a born-again believer. So God had always intended to bless the Gentiles through Israel, but it was a new revelation that God was going to make one body, one building, one temple out of both Jews and Gentiles. That was new. 
And, and Paul through, and, uh, and it was through Paul and others that God wanted the mystery to be revealed. Notice in verse number five, the latter part. He says, as, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God had entrusted these truths into the care of the apostles and prophets. And Paul was absolutely committed to teaching and preaching this truth, even if it cost him his life. Notice in verse number six, what were the contents of the mystery? Verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That was the mystery. That the Gentiles were going to be allowed to be mixed in with the Jews within the body of Christ, that they could be saved, baptized, a member, having the same rights and privileges with God, the same access to God, God making a covenant with the Gentiles? Yes. See, that up to this point was completely unknown. It was, it was not kosher. It was not okay. And for anybody to say otherwise, they would call that person a blasphemer. Paul explains what used to be a mystery. The Gentile believers are now united to the Jewish believers in one body, the church, uh, remember, Paul had already mentioned these truths. We've studied them in chapter 1 and verse 10 and chapters 2, chapter 2 and verses 11 through 15 and verse 22. And to accept this equality of Gentiles was an incredibly bitter pill for Jewish people to swallow. For centuries, the Jewish people had prided themselves in being God's chosen people. And then there was everybody else. And they were God's chosen people and are God's chosen people. But they had thought of themselves as being superior. And now they were being told that they were equal. God had loved the Gentiles all along. God had always intended to make a way of salvation for the Gentiles. And God was proving the truths Paul was preaching by bringing Jews and Gentiles together into one new body. God wasn't just adding Gentiles to the existing body of Israel. Jews and Gentiles would be one body. Its head, Jesus Christ, its members being believers, Jews and Gentiles are all one in Christ, all washed by his blood, all indwelt by the Holy Spirit of life, and all equally dependent on Christ and one another. And then lastly, this morning, I want to notice that Paul was dedicated to preaching the truth of the mystery to the church. And I say this, and it's written this way, and I'm reminded that you and I ought to be dedicated to understanding and knowing what God wants us to understand. We all have different valuations in life. We give value to, uh, you know, some people give value to to uh, watching a Michigan-Ohio State game. And they wouldn't miss it for anything. You know, it's like they wake up and it's on their mind while another person scoffs at that and says, what a waste of time. I'm going to go hunt squirrels. And this person over here says, you're going to do what? You know, we all have different valuations. Some people would say, well, I'm going to invest my finances into my home." And beautify it. Other people, other people go, why would you do that? Invest money into, and they can list different hobbies that they like. And that person, we all have different valuations. But you know what? We need to value what God values. 
We all need to value what God values. And truth is something that God values. And when God called Saul that day on the road to Damascus and God picked him out, and Saul responded that day in humility for the first time in his life and received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, God chose Saul. And he gave him a new name and he said, I have a mission for you. You're going to take a truth, a mystery to the Gentile. You're going to tell the whole world about this truth. And you know, I don't remember God telling Saul, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to imprison you, and you're not going to be able to please either side at times. And you're going to die for this truth. It's that valuable. And so when we talk about, in a message like this, you know, sometimes maybe it doesn't have the goosebump effect. You know, we could walk out and say, you know, I didn't cry enough in that message, or I didn't laugh enough. You know, it just wasn't... But it's, it is the Word of God. It is the mystery that God wants us to know and understand. And Paul was dedicated to preaching this mystery to the church. Notice in verse number 7 that Paul was empowered by God to do what God had called him to do. Verse 7, and you and I need this as well in our lives. God's empowering. He says, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. I'm going to read that again. That's a little wordy, a little hard to understand. He says, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Paul was empowered by God to teach this mystery, to preach this mystery. Paul realized that God had revealed these truths to him by his grace, by God's grace. And Paul knew that it was the effectual working of God's power that had enabled him to understand this mystery. If you can understand this mystery this morning, it's by the grace of God. It really is. And, and, and Paul and God had enabled him to understand the mystery. And then God, had, by his power, had enabled Paul to teach this mystery, this truth, not as a mystery, but as a clear truth to others. And we need God's grace and empowering in our day as well to understand God's word, to preach God's word. Uh, some of you have the gift of administration to administrate properly. You have the gift of giving or the gift of mercy. You need God's empowering in your life as well to be a good steward of what God has entrusted into your care, to organize, to administrate in, in, the, in the shop, in the workplace, in the office. Or, or in the classroom, or at home, or in your neighborhood. And the list can go on. Listen, Paul needed God's grace and God's empowering to understand the mystery and then to do what God had called Paul to do and teach the mystery. But you and I need God's grace and his empowering in our lives as well. Do you look for that? Do you have God's power upon your life? Are you dedicated to doing what God has called you to do? Paul was. We need God's empowering to do what God has called us to do. I'll also notice in verse number 8 that Paul was honest and humble about who he really was. Notice in verse 8, the beginning part, he says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. God's empowered me, he's given me his grace, and I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the lowest And and you know, in Paul's mind, I don't doubt for a moment that I don't believe Paul ever forgot standing there and watching Stephen stoned to death. I don't think Paul ever forgot that. I don't think Paul ever forgot leading people 
to go arrest Christians and drag them out of their homes and put some of them to death and imprison others. I don't think Paul ever forgot those days. And for you and for me, we ought not dwell on our past and allow our past to drag us down. But you and I ought not forget what God saved us from. In fact, even in this passage, over and over, Paul reminds these believers, this is who you used to be. Because it's when we forget who we used to be that we stop rejoicing in what God has made us to be. And and, and Paul was a humble individual. He didn't take pride in what God had enabled him to accomplish. Paul grew in humility. I can grow in humility. You can grow in humility. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul wrote, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. That's what he wrote. I don't deserve to be an apostle. I could say today, I don't deserve to be a pastor. We could all say, we don't deserve to be a Christian. We don't deserve that Christ would live within us by his Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things we don't deserve. And Paul never forgot who he was. And there's this humility that emanated from him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners. Paul never forgot the wonder of being called to be a custodian of this divine truth. And so God... Or excuse me, God wanted believers to know the riches that we have in Christ, and Paul was dedicated to that as well. Notice in verse 8, the latter part, in verse 9, as we conclude this morning, he says this. In the middle part of verse 8, he says, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, the unmeasurable, the unattainable. Uh, you can't find them anywhere else but in Christ, these riches of Christ. Paul says, I've been made a minister to preach them. In verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. You see, the riches that you and I need are only found in one place, and really found only in one person. You say, I've got financial problems. Your greatest need is found in one person. You say, I've got emotional issues. I've got problems emotionally, Pastor Ferguson. I struggle every day. Your, your need is found in one person. You say, we've got family, we got family problems. And it's not that there can't be some good application of Scripture that can help us with our finances or, or help us with our emotions or, or help us in our families. We ought to apply the Word of God to our lives in that area. But listen to me, friend. The world around us scrambles and looks desperately for answers. And the answer is found in one. He is everything. He can meet the need. It, the answer is not found in science. It's not found in psychology. It's not found in education or politics or social reform or in our culture. The true wealth, the spiritual treasure that the world has always needed is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to conclude by reading uh, a quote to you, and it's a little lengthy, but I, I, uh, I'm going to quote John Phillips. And he talks about the mystery that God had given to Paul. Listen to what he writes. He says, Paul revealed a secret that God had kept to himself. God had kept it hidden when he visited fallen man in Eden. 
God had kept it hidden when he talked with his friend Abraham and when he gave the law to Moses. He told David, God told David, a man after his own heart, many things, but he did not tell him this secret. God spoke to Isaiah and Jeremiah, to Ezekiel and Daniel, but still he kept his secret. He didn't tell the twelve minor prophets, and then he kept this burning secret for four hundred years. Finally, God sent his son, who was involved in the secret. And Jesus dropped hints of it here and there, but he did not give it away. The day of Pentecost came and the church was born. Peter preached, souls were saved, and the secret was out. But men still did not grasp it. So God saved Saul. He shared the secret with him and said, You tell the world what a secret it was. God was going to create a church. He would baptize Jews and Gentiles into it, making no difference between them. That church would be the mystical body of Christ. He would raise the, it, the church, higher than the angels. He would seat it with himself in the heavenlies. It would share fully and forever all that Christ has. And that church would be his crowning masterpiece. Creation itself, the showpiece of God's eternal power and Godhead, would pale before the everlasting splendors of the church. What a shout of joy there must have been when the secret was first unveiled in heaven. Imagine Christ himself in a battle-scarred human body, sitting down at God's right hand, turning to his Father and saying, Now, Father, let's send the Holy Spirit to bring home my bride, the mystery, the church. All one in Christ. Jew or Gentile, man or woman, rich or poor, old or young, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Spirit, and baptized into his body, the church, the body of Christ. And we have all that is Christ in him. It is a beautiful, beautiful